Fratelloni's Ace Hardware and Garden Stores brings you Garage Logic Podcast number 480, a bit of a special edition today, October 19th, 2020. The high on this day occurred in 2000 when it was 84, and it was 15 degrees on this day in 1972. And now, from the mayor's office, above the boathouse, on the east shore of Spoon Lake, it's Garage Logic with Rookie on Production. Chris Reavers, Director of Social Media, John Hyde in the Newsroom, and occasionally Kenny from the Krabby Coffee Shop. Here is your Flashlight King, Fireworks Commissioner, and Keeper of Common Sense, your Mayor, Joe Souchere. I don't know where to begin, Patrick, except the music <laughs> story is absolutely true. Yes, well, the first day you met him, you have to tell that story, yes. Got hired at the Star Tribune. I think it was just the Tribune then. <laughs> yes, yeah, and, it was the morning And Tribune, I had yeah. absolutely zero interest in being a sports writer. Mm-hmm. But I was counseled by people who said, you got to get your foot in the door, because once you're in a newspaper, there's a lot of horizontal movement as opposed to vertical movement. So I took the sports job thinking, well, it'll just be a matter of time before I can you know, cover dead bodies floating down the river in mm-hmm. City Hall Jeez. stuff. and Because it was at the time of Watergate. And everybody my age wanted to be oh, the next Woodward and you were a hardcore uh, Democrat right back then. Yes, but <laughs> I wasn't making any money yet. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't have anything. So, uh, so I took this job, gratefully. It was wonderful. Uh, Larry Batson hired me. And as I think back, what a remarkable lack of guidance any new hire was given. Because I just showed up day one. Then everybody went out to dinner. And I was alone on the desk. Presumably to answer phones or whatever. <laughs> Did you know what to do if somebody called? We got a dead body on. Uh, no, it was a sports sports desk. Okay. So, oh, okay. Yeah. But so in walks Sid in a suit. You were right, right? You brought it. Oh, I was wearing a tie and the mm-hmm. whole deal. Oh, nice. You know. <laughs> and, and in walks Sid with a big cardboard box. I had never met him before. Certainly knew who he was. And I said, "Hello, Mr. Hartman." Kind of like Prince said, "Hello, oh, yeah, right. hello, Mr. Hartman." <laughs> And uh, he didn't say anything. He just looked at me like, who the hell are you? Where'd you come from? And then he sits down and he starts rifling through this cardboard box, which I can only conclude now as I think back on it. had to be that day's press releases he must have picked up at all his stops. His notes. His notes, His notes, gophers, and wherever he stopped. And I, I'm sitting there somewhat in awe, thinking this is, this is pretty, look who I'm with. This is Man. a pretty big deal. Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden I hear, hey, horse's ass. <laughs> there was nobody there except me. You didn't quite know your name yet. That was your me. nickname forever. Hey, I said, ass. yes. He said, how do you spell music? Is that got a K or two Cs? And I, all my bubble just burst instantly. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. And to this day, I've said this before, to this day I've always meant to go back and see in what context would he have possibly used the <laughs> word music. That's yeah. amazing. Some gopher, gopher athlete probably said, I, I like music or something. Well, it uh, it was, I can't recall my first day there, but uh, it was uh, August of 1963. He was the sports editor then, but he didn't really, I mean, he had to approve my hiring, but Ted Peterson, the great Ted Peterson, the outstate high school guy and stuff was uh, was the guy who hired me, but... I do remember, as I wrote about today, uh, the the, uh, the you were there. Did he still have the half column cuts on the column, yeah, the side yeah. of the column? Yeah, there were six of them, and these were supposed to be people in the column that would then cause more readers to look to see what sure. what Max yeah. Winter said today. Right. You know, and uh, you you would be he'd give you his list, and then you were supposed to go back and go through the files and get those 
little engravings. And uh, if there wasn't the engravings, then you'd go find a photo of the guy and okay. so they could make a new engraving of it. And it was all, you always feared that day when you had to come back and say, ah, we don't have two of these guys, Sid, we don't have it, because then you would be, uh, you know, I used to say, Sid, we don't have one, but I brought Max Winter. I figured he'll be in there someplace, you know, and when I got I got comfortable enough to be a smartass. But I remember <laughs> the first time he, uh, that I, I had to inform him we didn't have this, I know it's back there, go back there, look, it's back there, you dumbhead, and, you know, I mean, it was a... And he, uh, I, my radio, my newspaper career almost ended about my fourth day when I couldn't find a half gallon cut. He was, uh, I think he was, uh, he was more out there then. He was really, uh, he was, you know, he was a little ornery back then. But the, of course, the legendary stories are more humorous than we we we, well, we have the great right. laugh. Have you ever met a more driven human being? No, no, there isn't one. There's, I mean, I mean, I we, it, it's easy to say that, but. Uh, no, no, he's at, and Chad today to me said that, you know, when when he got into the media business and and you know followed the old man in there, he found out that Sid was the most competitive human being on the planet, right. competitive in an almost a deranged way. Well, where he he, he didn't like he didn't like other people on his newspaper getting stories. No, when I covered the Vikings, he was my worst enemy. <laughs> Oh, yeah, don't he, talk to him. Because he has our, I got him. You leave him alone. Yeah, right. I, I said, what the hell am I supposed right. to do? He scored the or, game-winning touchdown. Or he's our beat, you know, he's our beat guy. Don't give anything to him. Give yeah. it all to me. Right. He, he would tell you. Well, John Rowe tells the great story about John is fresh on the beat of the uh, Twins. First game, Chicago. Uh, I'd have to look it up, but they win like 10 or 12 to nothing. And Brant Allier is playing his first game for the Twins as a left fielder. And he sets a club record with seven RBIs, or okay. seven or eight RBIs. And Sid's down there with him in Comiskey Park and says, I got Allier. Stay away from Allier. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stay away from Allier. Stay away from the angle that a guy played his first game when it was kind of an obscure <laughs> character. Just set a team record for RBIs. Don't do that. I need that one. Well, let me go back to the driven part. Yes. Uh, because in this... With this fellow, uh, there's no cliches involved here. Mm. Uh, you correct me if I'm wrong. I think he was driven to be important. I think he was driven to be loved. Yes, and, loved is a key word. There. All right, he was driven to be loved. I don't know his upbringing as well as you do, but I take it, it some love might have been absent. Uh, well, mom, he, I mean, mom was mom the was number one person in his life. Dad was a drinker and, yeah. uh, and uh, not an earner. Right. <laughs> I don't think bad, dad wasn't an evil beater or right. anything. He right. just was a just a not presence. And if he got a $5 paycheck, he came home with 14 cents because you know, right. he drank it up. So, But Sid's drive was a drive to be, to, to be able to say, I'm a friend of uh, Bud Grant, for example. He he relished being uh, he, uh, important. Steinbrenner acceptance. Yeah. acceptance, acceptance, acceptance. And I've talked about this today. He saw these guys like Bobby Knight and the despicable Billy Martin mm -hmm. and uh, and George Steinbrenner, who was an interesting character. Mm -hmm. He saw their unpopularity with. Most people as an opportunity right. mm. to become their buddies, right. and uh, <laughs> and, and he did it. I mean, he he saw this as an opportunity, and uh, I mean, Joe, 
he launched our radio careers. Yes, he did. Because when we came back on Monday Night Sports Talk in 83, 20 minutes of every two-hour show was devoted to making fun of Sid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And then callers would come in and make fun of Sid, you know, and... Uh, you know, and then you had our Sid. Our Sid, was, yeah, oh we had God, yes. we had dueling impersonators of our of Sid. <laughs> and we created I mean, the Sid rules. Yeah, well, yes, we did. Which we started at ten, and those weren't enough. It mm-hmm. ended up being fifteen. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where the list. <laughs> I wish I still had that sheet. It's somewhere. around someplace, oh, yeah, but you know, you know, the, set up the laws. Set up the laws. Provide the ray of hope yeah. was one mm-hmm. one rule. Uh, straddle the fence until mm-hmm. you see which way the wind's blowing. Right. Who, gets was an, Who gets the blame? Who gets the blame? Another one. That, no, oh yeah, we blame the uh, officials. Uh, blame no, the officials. No, well, blame the uh, you know blame the officials. Blame blame the negative geniuses in the media, and never blame the team. I mean, <laughs> kind of a version of that. He is. I, I actually talked to Doogie earlier, and I, I it struck me. He's the only guy who ever used the word geniuses as an insult. When he called you genius, he didn't mean it. (laughs) (laughs) If you were a genius, you were a complete jerk. Right. Nice going, genius. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't mean it that way. Well, isn't isn't the creation of Dark Star also a a deal? You guys did it, but wasn't it also a swipe at Sid because Dark had something? The whole thing was, Dark calls us one sad Monday night, right? It was a mm-hmm. Monday night. I think mm-hmm. he called us. Dark had been drinking at the George Chapel. As George Chapel, he had been drinking at the bar at the Lafayette Club with Mike Lynn's brother, Robert. And Mike Lynn's brother, Robert, told him that Bud was quitting again mm-hmm. the second time in 85. And... So Dark calls us on Monday night, this guy, and he's, I, did he, I think he identified himself as Dark Star because mm-hmm. uh, he was his favorite horse, or right. which is some BS story he told. But, uh, <laughs> but he said, Bud's, Bud's quitting again. He's going to resign again when the season's over. So in Kenny, rather than write it off as a crackpot, we went, well, there it is, ladies and yep. gentlemen. You heard it <laughs> You're here. it here first. We got right now. We got a new scoop master in town. It's all over for Sid. We got Dark Star. And lo and behold, it turned out to be correct. Mm-hmm. And Suits wrote a column in the St. Paul paper basically saying, there's a new man in town that's breaking news. <laughs> and it was all intended to agitate Sid. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Because here you guys were thinking it's another football general that oh, called yeah, in yeah. or whatever yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my. But he loved that he loved what he did to the exclusion of knowing how to do absolutely nothing else <laughs> well nothing. i can't fault him for that no. <laughs> <laughs> who had the story today about if you were riding with him and there was a pack of uh frank sinatra cds uh, joe swanson tommy swanson's okay. son yeah is in the caddy with him and there's a CD still in the cellophane mm-hmm. of Sinatra. Mm-hmm. And, jo- and Joe says, who's this, basically? And he's, ah, the greatest singer ever. I love him. And yeah. he says, well, let's, uh, let's, play, let's it. play it. And Sid said, well, I don't know where to put it. In the, <laughs> I don't know where to put it. And this, you know, this caddy counselor. And he says, oh, well, I, you know, I, I know where that is. He says, well, I can't get it out of the package. Right. <laughs> I, he gave me a ride home one night. He gave me a ride home one night, and first he had to go to some of the apartments he owned yes. to check on something. Yes. 
We By land- the way, first class operation, him and Al Rubinger, yeah. probably yeah. because of Al, but yeah. first class. But uh, we landed after a Vikings game or something, and he was going to give me a ride. I don't know whether it was to home or wherever oh, my God. car was. I don't know what I got in the Cadillac with him, but first he had to check on some apartments on Cedar across from the old Met yeah, Stadium. Yeah, well, he owned the ones out in yeah. the center. Yeah. Mock was one of his tenants, yeah. you know. And oh. so... He goes in, it's winter, he leaves the car running, and I note that it's uh, it's on WCCO, mm-hmm. full, it's a nice new Cadillac, full left front treble only. Oh, well, WCCO, here we go. So I start fooling with the knobs, and I fade it, I get it front to back, I balance it, I get bass and treble, and I get a music station on. And it's sounding like I'm in a concert. And it was beautiful. He gets in the car, he drives, he slams on the brakes after about 50 feet and says, what the hell is that noise? <laughs> I said, it's your radio. You don't know how to work your radio. He said, no, I never, I just, uh, it was, I can't, I can't figure it out. I said, well, it's all south for you now. <laughs> don't touch it. Don't touch it. <laughs> don't touch it. Oh, Mike wow. Max had a really good send-off uh, last night at CCO. He was live, or he was from um, Murray's. And he was talking about Sid was the ultimate competitor. It was a nice tribute, just saying he outworked everybody. Mm-hmm. And he just... Uh, well, he had, he a, nice had a column in the paper yesterday. Yeah, I, that probably was uh, done about Thursday because they were making him get his stuff ahead. He's got, he, he got a right hand. He, he always had his guy who helped him handle the copy. But uh, in the last eight, ten years, it's been a kid named Jeff Day who really took good care of him. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where Sid would sit next to him and tell him what to put in. But, you know, for years he was able to move the copy and do the other thing. But at the end, he, he never left the house during the pandemic. He was, like, basically in there for five months. Uh, but at the end, they had a screen where he could uh, see yeah. telephone conversations because he couldn't hear anything, but his eyes were still good. Mm-hmm. And he could read what oh, was going things. on, and he, he could read and so and to ask his next question. Now the guy on the other end trying to understand what he said was more of a problem. But, mm-hmm. but you, Jeff uh, helped him a lot. Sorry, Pat. Uh, did you see uh, Kevin Seifert's tweet about what Chad Hartman said about COVID? Did you guys happen to see that? I did. Uh, he did. Uh, Sid did not die from COVID, but Chad, I think, yeah. had a great point yeah, that he, COVID really reduced his life. Comes yeah. from me. Yeah. Is that you? I, he gave me the quote. Oh, I'm sorry. Night. I'm sorry. Chad okay. gave me the quote last yeah. night. Gotcha. Yeah. That he said COVID, you know, took all his zest for right. living. Because wow. Reavers, why don't you tell us who we have on today? Uh, in about 15 minutes, we're going to be talking to Steve Rush and Pat. Help me. Is he still with Sports nah, Illustrated? he does. Uh, he's he's more of a freelancer. These uh, nights at White Castle, Stingray oh, Afternoons. Great. One of the one of the best sports writers in the country married to rebecca lobo yep mm-hmm. huge fan of both you two and also mr hartman so i thought it'd be nice to hear from lives him. in connecticut if i'm not mistaken yes. yeah. Yeah. Uh, my story on russian is rebecca lobo's here doing a women's basketball game and i come up to her and i said rebecca pat ricey i said i'm your su- husband's hero mm-hmm. <laughs> she looked at me like i was insane because he he told me he used to ride the bike down to the convenience store to buy the dispatch when i was a dispatch columnist so uh, most people would pronounce it dispatch right, right. <laughs> Sorry. dispatch two words yeah a couple of uh, but about three months later i'm at the 
NCAA hockey tournament in Ohio State, and Russian always covered the, he, he liked the Frozen Four, so he'd always cover that for SI. And I told him, I said, yeah, your wife doesn't believe it. So he called her. Yeah. He called her, got her on the phone and said, yeah, this guy is my hero, and he wants you to apologize for not believing him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, but uh, I don't know, we were, uh, we were talking about, I guess there's nothing about us agitating him and Kenny and guys on the radio that I love more than when I went to my one Kentucky Derby. Mm-hmm. And on Friday night, I'm in this little barbecue joint out in the middle of nowhere, and Hubert Mizell and Dave Kindred walk in, two columnists, mm-hmm. from one from Louisville, one from St. Pete. And they, they are two of Bobby's guys. Mm-hmm. You know, Bobby had like 15 of them mm-hmm. around the country. And they were two of his guys. Hey, can we sit down with you? Sure. And they said, they said, hey, Bobby's joining us. And I said, as in night? Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah. I said, oh, that'll be interesting. <laughs> so, because uh, basically I devoted my every Indiana visit to agitate and sit right. by writing, <laughs> writing something about writing about something derogatory. I'd always write about what a great program Indiana has without mentioning Bobby. Right. You know, what yeah. that I wouldn't mention the coach. These great players they get, blah, blah, blah. And so anyway, he comes in with his new wife, who was at that point, who was really a nice gal, and he was fine. I mean, we, I didn't talk much, which is hard to believe, I know, but I didn't talk much. <laughs> But uh, he did ask how Sid, you know, and I said, yeah, he's meaner than a snake or something. He said, well, that's good. But uh, the next morning, remember, I I come on at Saturday morning, I'm doing 10, and I said, Joe, you know, this tradition I have when I go to the Derby, I always have dinner with Bobby on the Friday night, and we eat barbecue together, and blah, blah, blah. You know, it was really nice. It was really, this is my first and only Derby, but I said, you know, Sid did That's your tradition. Yeah, we always always have barbecue. We got this little joint out in the country. We really like to share our barbecue together, hoping... Knowing that he's probably not listening, but knowing that somebody will tell him. Right, right. uh, And and then I went on, and then Sid Suit says, well, did he mention Sid? And I said, no, he didn't. I said, I really think that whole thing that Sid has built up is overrated as a relationship. The next day on Sunday, I get reports. He comes on. Yep. Starts his show ranting about Ricey doesn't even know Bobby Knight, right? And nobody knows what the hell he's talking about, right? <laughs> you know, unless you were listening Saturday morning and then listening again Sunday, you had no idea he was the oh, easiest guy to needle. But that, in the that was just an arrow out of the yeah. quiver oh, and yeah. bullseye yes, and yes. bullseye. But he was the easiest guy to needle of all time because <laughs> his impulse was always to react and not think, you know. Well, that was evident on his Sunday morning show when somebody would rip, and then he'd go right after that guy. Yeah, well, when they were halfway through, sometimes they were asking a positive question, but, uh, you know, it was unbelievable. There were two things driven him, drove him, though, to uh, when he dealt with uh, local team officials and stuff. And, and really newcomers were, A, getting the news, and B, trying to line you up as a guest for the Sunday radio show. <laughs> I mean, two and a half weeks after he broke his hip, he shows up for Flex press conference. And first time he'd been out, 
And basically, people think he's there to meet Fleck. He's there to beat on him, to get him to make <laughs> promise to be in a guest every week on his uh, Sunday sports, <laughs> Sunday show. Uh, we got he must have had monster numbers. That show must have oh, been At huge. one time, it was huge. At one time, they said it was the highest-rated radio show in the country. Wow. Uh, Pat, we got a guy as a frequent contributor to Garage Logic, a guy named Dave Downing, and he says, here's my Sid story. Uh, Minnesota State Fair, 1980. Sid is holding court at the WCCO radio yep. booth, taking questions from the crowd. I'm about to begin my senior year in high school. We think we've got a pretty good football team, so I asked Sid, who's going to win the Rum River Conference this year? Sid said, not Bram. I was wearing a Bram shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Fast forward a couple of months. It's the final game of the season. Winner takes the conference title. Sock Rapids put seven on the board. We go back and forth between the 20s, but can't score. Late in the game, Bram finally reaches the end zone. Coach goes for two in the win. We come up short. Not Bram. Sid was right. He set up the loss two months earlier. <laughs> <laughs> now think about this that was 40 years ago 40 years Sid was already 60 if someone had told me that in 40 years I'd be sharing this story on something called a podcast because Sid had just died I wouldn't have believed him uh, that would have been unbelievable as suggesting that in 2020 the Vikings still wouldn't have won a Super Bowl Sid loved his Vikings but I think they finally did him in he and he died of a broken heart loved the Gophers more than the I think he did Vikings too. do but that the crowd that he would drive, oh. draw at the fair, yeah. was yeah. always the biggest thing. He only went to one the fair for one reason, right. so he could brag about the crowd that right. he would draw in front of there. <laughs> and of course, it was like watching a chimpanzee in the circus. But uh, Pat, that was the only time. My dad took us as kids to the state so fair, and it was because Sid. so he could see Sid. And he'd really? say, "I got a bigger crowd than all you guys. Uh, suit your age crowds." He still, and you know, yeah. in two thousand oh, two thousand five, he was still telling us how his crowds were bigger than suit your age and bigger. Than <laughs> age. So, everything was competition. I know everything. Everything, everything, everything. was competition. Uh, Bert writes, uh, uh, okay. I had the amusing experience of serving lunch to the great man a few times years ago. <laughs> Not so long ago, as a friend and I walked past his statue, I noted, since we're taking down statues, they should remove SIDS based on his crimes against food. <laughs> <laughs> or waiters and waitresses. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I had the story today in my, uh, in my column I wrote. Not the long old bit, but the column was... I Byerly's and he, you know, he lived over on the creek, uh, creek, the creek, the creek. It's a right? creek, Pat. Yeah, <laughs> over on the creek. <laughs> it's the creek. It was Lime Creek. It's uh, it's Bassett Creek. Damn it. All right. Yep. But he yep. lived on the he lived on the creek. And I lived over in the slums, you know. Yeah. But we were near each other, and we both went to the original Byerly's. Right. And at least twice a week, they'd say to me. Your buddy was just in here, you know, because mm -hmm. that was back when it was still a union shop, and it was the same people worked there, right. and I, we knew them all. One day, and I used to make the sign of the cross or give them a papal blessing or something <laughs> when they told me that. And so one day I say to this gal who'd been there forever, I said, well, did he congratulate you on the fine service you gave him? And he said, no, she said. He told me to hurry up, yeah. as he always does. <laughs> you guys think I'm a bad waiter? Oh, no, Sid was no. not a good waiter? Sid was oh, not a good God. waiter. No, he was not unbelievable. Not a good waiter. And he never got a check in his life where he didn't look at it and scowl and say, <laughs> cast, take the Lord's name in vain, even though he wasn't a big believer in the right. Lord. Right. But, uh, you know, and, and complain about it. He could go to Murray's and get a check for eight bucks for a 
steak and be be upset. Well, you, know? you had the the greeter wrote about it today, but your your quote speaking of food and, and Sir Sidney with the with the dressing. Well, oh yeah, there used <laughs> to be a that. weekly Vikings press luncheon, and I now will say that the reason he ate the dressing was he was in a hurry. Yeah. So. Green goddess, probably. Huh? No, it was uh, Thousand Island. <laughs> and he took the cup of Thousand Island soup. I said, Sid, that's dressing. Oh, that's pretty good. And, and he, ate the, he ate the whole, it was Vichyswai. He ate the whole damn cup of Thousand Island dressing. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. my Food meant though, nothing to him. Food meant nothing to him. I can't him. say the exact words, but my favorite all time, and I've told you this many times, it's at a Super Bowl in Miami. <laughs> And it was Dirty Jim Hawkins and yeah. me, oh, yeah, sure. and I can't remember who else. But we decided, we're in the lobby, we don't know where we're going to have dinner, but we decided, let's not let Sid find us. <laughs> but he did. And he said, where are you guys going to dinner? And we said, we don't know. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I'll go with you. How did he find you? Weren't you hiding we're behind all, beams? Yeah, we were something? hiding behind the pillars, but he found us. <laughs> but he gets in that, and it turns out it was wonderful that... that he came because uh, he gets in the cab. He gets in the front seat. We're in the back, and he says, "Joe Stone Crab." That would have been the original. Yes. Well, he knew those guys. Yeah. We were getting in. I said, "Sid." He had the ethnic advantage with those fellas. I said, yeah. "Sid, we can't get in Joe Stone Crab on a Super Bowl night, a yeah. week, a Super Bowl week." He goes, "Don't worry about it. We we'll get yeah. in." And we were marched right to a bleeping table when we got there. Any event. What'd you have? Crab. <laughs> we're driving down. I think it's Collins, Collins Avenue, Avenue, and and we're southbound because mm-hmm. you got to go to the end of the beach to get to Joe Stone Crab, the original one, not the modern new one now. And he keeps looking between the hotels at the ocean. He keeps doing it, and I tell I tell the guys in the back, you're going to hear something here because <laughs> I've seen the signs. He's a he's a geological expert. You're going to hear something here, and you're going to remember it the rest of your life. He looks again, he looks again, finally he turns around, he says, I'll tell you something right now. These hotels would really be screwed without that ocean. <laughs> These guys are giving me the high five, and they're going crazy. So in nineteen ninety one, I'm at the World Series, I got the auxiliary press seat in Atlanta, and I hadn't seen Jim Hawkins since it probably was fifteen years. Mm-hmm. He taps me on the shoulder, he says, Sush, you see that field out there? <laughs> These players would really be screwed without that field. I said, I told you you'd remember that the rest of your life. Oh, man. We, uh, you know, Dennis Brackett basically devoted his time at the paper to agitating sin, you know, coming up with pranks. And um, the greatest ever, I've told this one many times. But we'd signed a six-year guild contract, so there wasn't much to, there wasn't much to do. So they decided... That we were going to move the parking spots, right? Yeah. We move the parking spots around in the main lot there. The idea being that women who worked the night shift would get the good spots, which yep. seemed like a yeah. good idea at the time. Chivalry right? is not dead. Yeah. Well, Sid would just basically park in the crosswalk <laughs> in front of the in front of the little entryway right. there right. across, and you know take up handicap spots and, yeah. and everything else, and. And we knew that Sid certainly had not filled out the paperwork required uh, to get your new right. spot. So uh, Bracken got on the ATEX machine and, and sent him a message from Vic, who was the head of the parking services, just some made-up right. guy, 
telling him that because he hadn't filled out his paperwork, they no longer had a spot reserved for him. Uh But they did find a spot for him at the uh, printing place down on Plymouth Avenue there, down on the Uh right Uh now, and that... uh, and he shouldn't worry because the shuttles ran every half hour. Right. So, uh, <laughs> oh, so, oh, so we had oh, that sitting there. So we're both oh. in. We both made sure we were there when he arrived. And he'd go on the ATEX machine and yeah. see what messages he had. And the next thing, he's in there three minutes and he comes bolting out of the office, <laughs> goes, takes a right, takes another right. Heading hauling ass down to Parkinson, the publisher's right, office, right. Oh, to get no. this straightened out. And Bracken's chasing him down the hallways. Sid, stop, Sid. Stop, Sid. Stop, Sid. Sid, it's a joke. Huh? Say, <laughs> so why don't we uh, take a time out and be joined by Steve Russian? Oh, that'll be great. All right. Dragging this out, huh? Well, we've got a big sports talk fan on hold. Hi, Steve Russian. Joe here. Hey, Joe. How are you? We outlived him. We outlived him, Steve. I didn't think it was possible. I'm not sure, man. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure, but uh, (laughs) that's what a guy told me yesterday, Steve. I told him Sid died, and he said, "Are you sure?" I told my dad. I texted my. I got a text from a buddy in Minneapolis, and I said, "What?" In all caps, and I texted my dad, and he said. But his column's in the paper this morning. Yes, this is right. How is that possible? Yes, right. We, I haven't, uh, I haven't uh, studied yet. The uh, found out the genesis of how that column got in, but he probably produced it along with his right hand man Jeff Day on Thursday and uh, had her in there Sunday. It's a, it's an incredible thing, Steve. You've traveled the world uh, and certainly the country, and I don't think that. Maybe in Minnesota, because we were so used to them, we realized that there isn't anything like this in America. Never has been. Never has been, never will be. If he lived 110, there would have been a column on on this last day. I have no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think of five years ago being on Coronado Island in San Diego with Rod Carew, who needed a heart transplant. <laughs> I was in tears talking to him. He was in tears um, and very quickly, what did we have in common? I grew up in Bloomington. Um, we started talking about Sid and he talked about, he started talking about, you know, seeing Sid at the Lincoln Dell and, <laughs> 70s and Patrick, I think you had breakfast or yep. Carew at the Lincoln Dell and, um, it, it, conversations always came back to, you know, Sid and, and, and I should say, Conversations with Sid often came back to Sid as well. <laughs> yes, I first, had, I first he brought me to breakfast at at the Decathlon Club in my hometown of Bloomington in like 1991, I think it was, and um, and it was great. It was like entree into his world of you know mm-hmm. the Minneapolis Athletic Club and Lincoln Dell and these, all these places, and that my parents had matchbooks too. But um, he he very soon would ask me, you know, when are you going to, when are you going to write about me? When are you going to write about me? <laughs> and like 15 years later, 10 years, 10 or 15 years later, I did. And he would frequently then say to me when I uh, talk to him or run into him, you know, remember that calling you wrote, wrote about me? I said, How could I forget? <laughs> Steve, what set up that meeting? What, what, what led up to that? Well, you know, I was writing about, I was writing about, um, I, I think I was writing about when the twins won the world series and then they were going to host, what were they hosting the final four? 
Yeah, uh, we yeah, had the one yeah, year there where yeah. we had five exactly. things. Or the so. U.S. The Open, yeah. the Stanley Cup. Yeah, so I was writing about that. And Patrick, I I sat down with you with a tape recorder rolling in the in the lobby of the of the Star Tribune building, and and we very quickly started talking about Sid, and um and and I remember then thirty years ago you're talking about, um you know on his passing you'll you'll you know you'll write an ode to him, um though you know sometimes there was friction there or whatever. And the notion that that was <laughs> 28 years ago, yes. and he was 72, yeah. you know, um, incredible. Well, didn't you say you, you had you had written your, your column 12 years ago oh, on him? I, I think the uh, the long obit that I wrote uh, yeah. was, uh, it, it's at least 10. I'm not sure what it was. All oh. I know is that I updated it twice. Uh, in, in three years intervals, and then the third time that the guy that my sports editor Glenn Crevier told me I'd updated, I uh, I told him to do something that was physically impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I was done with uh, updating this because. Uh, I just wanted not to be like my buddy Augie, uh, Mike Augustine, who ended up with a byline on Calvin Griffith six months after Augie died when uh, yeah. Calvin died. So I, but uh, it's uh, it's incredible it's incredible the variety of feelings you have about the guy. I mean, you having not dealt with him on a on a daily basis, but it's. Uh, I mean, you were the even when you were his friend, you were the enemy when it came to oh, news. Sure. It's amazing. Well, I mean, I I just know you know at Sports Illustrated, if I were in a scrum at a locker at say a Twins postseason game, that you know they wanted me to wait out the crowd so that whatever people were writing for the next day, I needed something that would you know stand yes. up the, the following week and that wasn't already in the papers. But you couldn't outweigh outweight. Did he had the shoulder harnessed, you know, howitzer microphone tape recorder thing, and he'd be looking at that tape rolling and kind of looking off at the people around him in the scrum uh, with a microphone pointed at the guy, and 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 eventually you just kind of have to cry uncle and <laughs> item on the buffet. Yeah, he, uh, you know, he was. He, he, he spent a lot of time with his tape recorder out looking around the room to see who other people were talking to. That was just, well, I've seen him drop an interview to go to somebody <laughs> yes. that he thought was more important. It's, well, that's, I mean, he, and eventually he, he became one of those guys. I mean, I say one of those guys. How many were there? Jim Murray's the only other guy I can yeah. think of. I was at a Clippers-Pacers game in, in L.A. years ago, and Reggie Miller was playing for the Pacers, and he was talking to reporters, myself included, his locker, and then all of a sudden he demanded that the crowd, the waters part, and there was Jim Murray, whose eyesight was failing at that point, being ushered into, mm-hmm. Mr. Murray, how are you? And that's the way <laughs> the guy I can think of who, you know, the, the athlete deferred to the reporter and, and not vice versa. I can't think of anyone, because not, I was going to say Red Smith, but no. Red Red was never there to curry the the adulation of an athlete. Red was there to write a story, to write literature. Yeah. Well, but yeah, Sid was you know he was just he he was also there to get something on tape, man. So oh, he yeah. could, uh, yeah. he could well, uh, I, I mean, I, I have always loved that when you talk about Red was there to to write literature. Uh, Sid was there to have Pat write his his story, which I just I mean <laughs> I just, I just love the. The sports writer who had the writer write his, uh, his mm-hmm. memoir, and proudly, by the way, although I uh, I did have the advantage of calling him one day uh, to uh, uh, that he had edited out of I was, I'd write a couple of chapters and give them to him, and he'd edited out his birth date, 
And I said, uh, Sid, uh, if we're going to charge people 25 bucks for this, we should tell them when you were born. Mm-hmm. He said, he said, well, you don't have to tell them I was born. Just say I was born. You don't have to tell them. <laughs> and I said, well, in your case, that's information because a lot of us think you were hatched. Yeah. So well, anyways. The thing, I mean, there was like, there was no beginning and no end. I no. mean, it was... Uh, yeah, you know, I remember talking to him, and you know all this. Guys know all this, you know. But being present at the creation of the betting line, or picking up George Mike at the airport when yeah. you know, this year the Lakers win another title with LeBron James, this was a continuous line. From it was like being at the you know the presence of uh, the invention of fire when God ceiling <laughs> yeah, you know touched the spark to Adam. Yeah. That was like I had somebody tweet me last night that uh, you know my dad said he'd been reading Sid's columns since 1942 1942 yeah. and and you know it just it not only did it seem like it would go on forever it seemed like it it never had a beginning it was just always there was it 1942 44 but well do you know how he got the column Steve you know how he got it remind me Dick Cullum couldn't get to work because of a snowstorm Dick Cullum lived in Hopkins couldn't get into the paper he called <laughs> Sid was Colum's guy. Sid was Colum's hire, yeah. and 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 uh, uh, Dick said, "Sid, I can't, I can't get in." Sid said, "Don't worry about it. I got everything taken <laughs> care of." And the next morning, there was his columns yeah, in the paper. notes, notes wow. in there. Yeah. But don't, uh, don't worry about it for the next eighty years. Right. <laughs> yes. His first task, though, Steve, for Dick Colum, the great Dick Colum, was a hell of a guy, mm-hmm. and uh, was as a copy editor. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> No. With that, uh, with that tenth grade dropout from North High School, reading the copy, that they couldn't spell else. music for God's sake. <laughs> right. But I think uh, so many of those, uh, so many of those Sid isms that come to mind. The uh, you know, accosting Spud Webb at the airport and calling him Spider Web. I had a column I wrote about him. You know, saying you know they're, they're building stadiums for every team in every city in america with the exception of us in montreal you know mm-hmm. it's like okay that's not exactly in america but you know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, you know, it's part, of the, part of the charm obviously was uh what made him him oh he's damn near yogi barrel like yeah. sometimes yeah. Oh, oh god totally. yes yeah. yeah jim finks died because he smoked like a fish yeah he smoked like a fish <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, oh God, he was a. He was I a, do know. I, I did hear that uh, he was. Uh, he had um, uh, at, at a at a lunch had eaten the soup and oh, was halfway through the salad yeah. when he asked the uh, waitress where the uh, salad dressing was, and she said, "You would just ate it." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was there. I saw him do it. <laughs> it's a true story. It was a Thousand Island dressing. He wolfed yeah. it down. Well, well, between between his brec- having me for breakfast at the decathlon and. The the uh, the several Murray's gift cards I got over mm-hmm. the years from him, including last year that I would send to my brother in Minneapolis because there's not a Murray's outlet in, in Connecticut. <laughs> and uh, you know, Carew talking about lunch at Lincoln Dell. I, it occurred to me like, did he ever? Was there ever a non-working meal for Sid? Was was there ever a non-working moment? And you know, I'd hear him on the radio at six a.m. and uh, see him on TV at ten thirty p.m. or whatever. It, it it just seemed to me from an largely outside perspective that there were a few waking moments that were not working moments. 
Well, I uh, wrote today that uh, to tell Sid to rest in peace is an insult. You know, <laughs> there was none. There was none in his life. He was always worried about what that conversation over there might be about. Steve yeah, is the right. author of Stingray Afternoons, uh, Nights at White Castle. What are you working on right now? Anything we need to know about? Well, I'm, I'm, I'd like to get another, another book going, but um, uh, I don't have anything coherent yet enough to even talk about. The, the pandemic has, uh, people say, it must be a great time to write. And I think yeah, if, you have, if you have four kids who are still school-age, <laughs> who are home all spring, it was not a great time to write. But uh, So I'm trying to get something going, but another sort of book in that vein. Mm-hmm. Steve, well, it's Rookie here. I just want to um, say hello to you. I, I kind of kept my mouth shut while you guys were rolling. But um, he's not going to write about you, which rookie. is very no. rare for me. Can you me. write anything about me? No, <laughs> I haven't seen you since you were a uh, a speaker at the Nativity Men's Sports Shirt Stag, oh, which yeah. of course Joe and Pat are uh, are seasoned veterans of that event as well. But you told one of the best stories, my favorite stories of all time. Will you tell the Alan Page story, please? Well, I mean, I it's it's. It, when I was eight years old, one of my classmates at at the other Nativity, as you guys call it, uh, in Bloomington. <laughs> yeah. His dad ran the uh, airport Holiday Inn on, on 494, where the Vikings stayed before home games. And he invited me to a sleepover um, at that hotel on a Saturday night when the Vikings would be there before a home game. And I was a huge Alan Page. Alan Page is my favorite athlete as a kid. My mom sort of homemade me an 88 Vikings jersey um, because you, couldn't, you could only get Tarkenton or, or Foreman jerseys uh, in the store back then. And I wore my... Alan Page jersey. I practice a speech in the mirror. About, you know, please, Mr. Page, can I have your autograph? And when I got there, my friend's dad said, you know, if you stand in the lobby here, the Vikings will sign as they come through. And he said, totally oblivious to my jersey. He said, except for Page, he doesn't sign autographs. Don't ask him. And so the Vikings came in. I was crushed. I got Nick Tinglehoff's autograph. I got a picture of that. I got, uh, you know, all these autographs. And then Alan Page walks in in like the pterodactyl wing collars. Uh, the suede jacket, big afro. I was just you know, suddenly paralyzed with fear, and I couldn't even croak out my speech to him. <laughs> he walked right past me, got picked up his room key, and went to the stairwell to go up. And as he got to the stairwell, he kind of turned back. Something caught his eye. He looked at me, saw my 88 jersey, came back, grabbed the paper out of my hand, signed the autographs, handed it back to me. I stood there in a puddle of admiration and urine, and, uh, and uh, he disappeared. And then 20 years, 30 years later, whatever, when he's a Supreme Court justice in, in St. Paul, I sent from SI to do a story for the sort of catching up with issue. And um, I tell him this story, and before he gets, I said, was there a time when you didn't sign autographs? He said, yeah, for many years I didn't believe in it. Uh, and I told him the story, and I could see him getting a little nervous. And when I got to the part where he signed my autograph, he was hugely, hugely relieved. And um, <laughs> we've become friendly ever since. And um, uh, to this day, you know, that's probably my most, uh, uh, the, of all the people I've met, that moment as an eight-year-old with Alan Page was still kind of the most uh, awestruck that I ever was. But to this day, I, you still meet with him when you come into town. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he, um, he, I told him about that moth eaten jersey that I wore forever as a kid until, like, Jerry Seinfeld says about under, men in underwear. You know, <laughs> where, so he can blow away like dandelion spores. <laughs> well, I wore that. And, and, um, and uh, weeks later, I got in the mail a three quarter sleeve Vikings white with the gold hoops on the shoulder, 88 jersey signed by him. And, 
said, here, this, I hope this will replace the one that, uh, you know, that blew away as a kid. And so, yeah, we've, uh, I've, I've gotten together when I've been in the Twin Cities. I've ran, literally ran into him in the, in uh, the center of Niswa, <laughs> middle of the summer a few years ago, up at my sister's cabin, and he was up wherever he makes his maple syrup. So, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, a thrill and privilege uh, to have gotten to know him a little bit. That uh, I love the I love the guy, but that left finger on his hand is freaky, oh. man. The one that points the one that points sideways makes me nervous, man. It's unbelievable. I was, I was with my, my then young son, when we ran into Aniswa, and he was kind of looking away, but looking at the at the at his finger and then looking away, like, where that finger was pointing because it goes at a right angle. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Steve, thanks a lot, sir. It was great. Guys, thank you so much. Okay. All right, take uh, care. Great Steve thank Rush. You. Thank One you. of the best writers ever. Mm-hmm. Yep. Really good. We got Born hired in Illinois, by Sports grew up in Bloomington. Yep. Got hired by Sports Illustrated right out of market. Yep. No, didn't stop Oh, I go. thought he had worked here. Never worked point. for a paper, did he? No. Sports okay. Illustrated. He, wow. he had gotten an internship at Sports Illustrated while he was at Marquette. Mm-hmm. They liked him so well, they hired him straight out of college. Wow. Doesn't happen often at SI. Is he still with them? Yeah, I think he still does some stuff for them. But yeah. yeah, I mean, they've changed ownership now. They're coming out of some place well, down in North I, Carolina. Roycey. I, I don't mean what? I got hired at AM 1500 right out of Brown Institute. <laughs> yes. So did I, Same Kenny. Thing. These yes, two yes. knuckleheads were so impressed with me, they hired me right on the spot and said, you just rookie, you do the weather here. It is amazing the way we went through producers, and we've been, now this guy's been around for 30 I years. I won't go away. Yeah. yeah, Russian rookie Olson. <laughs> he outlasted the station as a producer. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Gary in Mendota Heights has a great Grunhofer's tip. Really? Well, he says, sometimes you just got to buy some brats that are just yours, and you know the rest of the family won't eat them when you're not home. Blue cheese and green olive brats. You either love them or hate them, but I love them. Mm, 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 mm. And he's got a great point. Sometimes you got to get stuff at Grunhofer's yep. that you know will not get taken from you in your absence. And yep. that's uh, the varieties. You, with 110 varieties of brats to choose from, you're going to find the one that's special for you. Yeah. And it won't get stolen by the rookie's family. I'm not here to talk about brats, brah. I'm here to talk about these ribs I got from Grunhofer's. Oh, look at that. I put the rub on them, oh, and look at that. Oh, A little uh, Mike's Hot uh, uh, honey, oh, oh, some oh. Uh, brown sugar, and that's the way they look, bro. Grunhofer's Old Fashioned Meats in Hugo. Ribs, steaks, burgers, you oh. name it. The Philly Patty's a new one. The, uh, the uh, Bloody Mary brought for your Bloody Mary. All the supplies you need, including the seasoning, available at Grunhofer's Old Fashioned Meats. It's on Highway 61, Woo! right at the north end of Hugo. This guy wears many hats, just not indoors. Joe Suchere. I see similar stories. I saw similar stories on Twitter. I think Chip Scoggins said something to the effect that uh, upon the arrival of their first child, yeah, uh, some <laughs> yeah, baby clothes, uh, baby clothes arrived at his house, yeah. and I, I tweeted back, Chip, Chip, the same thing happened to me, except the postage was due. <laughs> <laughs> The first kid was born and Sid sent over yeah. this really nice snowsuit. Uh-huh. I had to give the guy at the door about four bucks just to get the thing. 
Oh, God, it was wonderful. <laughs> you know, the great Terry Ferris was the secretary of the, the yes. whatever we gave her title. It was yeah. She was of the, the sports department, and she was in charge of sending the notes to people who were in Sid's column. Right. You know, Sid would say, send a note to them. And there was, you know... To, you know, not the locals, but like if he got a national guy on, he'd send him a note. Thank you for, uh, yeah. you know, and, and, but the notes carried two themes. You're the greatest or you got screwed. Yeah. You know, the two <laughs> ways to, the two ways to kiss up to athletes. Right. Tell them they're the greatest or tell them you would have been the greatest right. if you, you hadn't got screwed. Over. Right. And, uh, and she gave me like 500 of these notes. When I was writing the book, but she could have given me one. Right. The only, but except that the, she gave them to me to show me the variety of the people he'd written uh, written uh, sure. notes to. But she was in, and, and you know there were five hundred of them, but she wrote twenty five thousand. Right. I mean, she she wrote twenty five thousand of them, and he'd tell her what he wanted in them, whether you would go with the you're the you're greatest, the greatest angle, or you got screwed, or you got screwed <laughs> angle. You had to know which angle to use, yeah. but. Uh, I guess my the hardest I ever worked on a Sid prank was the Tommy Herter. Uh, the Twins won the World Series in 87. Early in 88, they traded one of their most popular players, Brudansky, for I, Tommy Herter. I'm still upset about that. Because Kelly wanted a, a two-hitter. You know, that was back then, who could move runners, and he didn't like Lombardozzi as a player. Yep. Neither did Glenn. And... Uh, it didn't work out. Tommy played 35 games. And I actually stole this from Tom Powers, who was covering the, uh, who was the beat guy for the St. Paul paper. Tom started calling her the Iron Horse. But uh, I couldn't, he couldn't use that because he was a game story writer. And I was still in St. Paul, so I stole it. Right. And I uh, started calling him the Iron Horse. But it, he only played 35 games. He was Mr. Whirlpool. And then he leaves and. He gets ends up in Philadelphia, and he's quoted in, 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 in the Phillies come back to play the Cardinals, where he was wildly popular in St. Louis. He they come back to play the Cardinals, and in the St. Louis Post Dispatch, hers quoted as what what went wrong. It's a what went wrong in Minnesota story, mm-hmm. and hers quoted as saying, uh, "Well." The big guy at the newspaper up there misquoted me when I was there uh, right away, never never identifying who the big man in the newspaper was. But Sid, you know, he used to get newspapers from right. all over, and he'd go through them. He finds this, and Sid, and he quotes him as saying, the big man at the newspaper, blah, blah, blah. And he says, well, Tommy Herr, I didn't misquote you. I have it on tape in the, okay. you know, in there, right, you know, right. even though it is a name. So I said, uh I said to Bracken, who was the fellow schemer, uh, "Okay, we got to do. What are we going to do? What are we going to do here? Because he's assuming he's the big man at the newspaper. He's running with it. And uh, Paulie Hagan's a good friend of mine, and he covered the Phillies for a long time. He's in the. uh, He won the Spink Award. He's in the Hall of Fame. And uh, and uh, so I said, I'll get a hold of Paulie, and we'll have have him get some Philly stationery. Yeah, and we'll have." Have them type up a note that's saying that uh, that when I ref- I'm sorry I, when I referred to the big guy at the newspaper I wasn't talking about you Sid I have all the respect in the world for you I was referring to Charlie Walters from the St. Paul Fire <laughs> Press you know? and not only did not only did uh, Hagen get it on Philly stationery 
in a Phillies envelope, but he got Tommy Hurd to sign it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> spectacular. And we sent it to him. So like a week later on Sunday morning, I'm, I'm listening to it to see what how is he, if he's got, because I, I saw the letter come through. I knew he had it. And he mentioned that he got an apology from Tommy Herr, but he didn't mention the, car, oh. the Charlie Walters part. <laughs> and I don't think we ever... I don't think we ever revealed the uh, the just fact let it that, go. that it was, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know that it ground him up something. Oh sure, but, sure. Uh, beautiful because mm. Charlie was uh, Charlie became a burr in his saddle because mm-hmm. we never had anybody like that at St. Paul. Don Riley wasn't breaking stories no. unless he imagined them. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Interviews with Thomas Hearns, right. in depth. Who wasn't talking to anyone? But uh, so uh, you know that was. Uh, Anyway, it was uh, that was a great one. To um, to work that hard to have it succeed was a great one. Yes, you're telling me one. Ah, uh, Kevin Seifert is now with us. <laughs> Wonderful. Hello, Kevin. Hey, how are you, Joe? How are you? Good, good, good. good. Kevin, uh, they need the Prince story, and then I got something to ask you. Okay, sure, sure. Okay, we're ready. We're on the air. Go <laughs> ahead, sir. Oh, I I got you. Okay, uh, so. My favorite uh, Sid story happened in uh, January of 2007, and it was very much related to uh, to uh, Bob Hagen, who uh, who witnessed the whole thing and passed it along to me. I can't even claim to have seen it, but um, uh, in basically the way the Super Bowl works is that the the halftime show is uh, the person who's related to the halftime show is doing the halftime show has to be the uh has to do a press conference during the week and uh and in january of 2007 which was the super bowl between the colts and the bears the the halftime uh guest was going to be prince and so someone said to sid hey prince or said to sid uh hey sid you've got a uh, a local angle for your uh for the the halftime show it should be a pretty good thing for your column and he goes, oh, oh, is that right? I I don't know if he knew who Prince was. Or, <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing he had probably heard of him, but mm-hmm. maybe didn't know a lot about him. But he goes to Hagen because Hagen was working the Super Bowl that year as a as a press aide, and says, "Hey, uh, you know, hey, set me up with that Prince guy. I want to talk to him for a few minutes for my call. You know, just set me up." And uh, and as you know, Bob Hagen tries his very best to do everything yes. he can to, uh, especially with Sid, to uh, facilitate in the interview. And I think. You know, Hagen said something like, "Well, I don't know, Sid. I mean, that's uh, that's a little bit of a tall task." Come on, you talking for a few minutes? You know, and so Hagen says, "All right, well, do me a favor here, huh? He's supposed to do a press conference uh, in a uh, on on whatever day, Thursday. Why don't you meet me half hour beforehand, and we'll see if we can't find him and then can and catch him for a few minutes." So they hatched this plan to meet at the security door at the Miami Convention Center and. Bob would try to get Sid behind the scenes to uh, to the green room where where Prince would be prior to this uh, to this press conference. And so they get through the first guy fine because Sid, uh, uh, because Hagen has a, a NFL league credential. And second guy, second security guy is a little bit tougher, but you know eventually Hagen says, you know, look, you probably don't know who this guy is, but other than Prince, he's he's the most famous person in our entire state. Mm-hmm. And so that gets them past the second uh, <laughs> round of security. And the third guy, uh, you know, they, they, he's not too happy about it either, but they eventually talk their way through it. And so now they're in this hallway, and, uh, and they're headed to the green room, and they, and they actually see Prince walking out the green room towards the other side, and he's got this big entourage, and he's going to be heading out to the, 
this conference room to do this press conference. And Bob's like, well, Sid, there he is. And he goes, is that him? Yeah, that's him. <laughs> so he, he, so he, Sid did what he always does, and he flagged down the guy. And he goes, hey, Prince, 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 <laughs> hey, come here. Let me talk to you for a few minutes. And so like, I guess as Hagen tells the story, it's this, everybody freezes. You yeah, know, right. The, the, the security yes. people, the PR people, the entourage from <laughs> – yeah, no, nobody knows what's about to happen. And so, like, I guess even Prince just stopped and kind of slowly turned around to see who this was. And Prince looked at Sid, and Sid looked at Prince, and finally Prince goes, well, hello, Mr. Hartman. How are you? <laughs> yeah, right. I love that. Yeah, love a basketball that. player from North. You yeah. Know him, yeah, he's a sports guy, right. I, mean, yeah. I guess, you know, people should remember that, that Prince, you know, had been to a lot of Timberwolves games, I think. Yeah. So I'm sure that he had at least seen Sid across the way. <laughs> yeah. And so... And so they just they walked over, and, and as Hagen recalled, they had this, like, three- or four-minute conversation about Minnesota sports, and, and then Prince went out to do his press conference, and Sid kind of strutted, strutted around, and I don't even know if he had his tape recorder or not, but, you know, afterwards, I said, I, I think Hagen told me about it, and I said to Sid, it's like, I said, that's, that's the most unbelievable thing that's happened here. Do you, and he goes, oh, he's a nice guy, he's fine. He would have been eighty. Sid would have been eighty-seven. There might, and so then you have to play to Sid's, you know, the Sid's strength. Say, Sid, there might not even be like a, a, there might not even be anyone on the planet who has had a three or four minute conversation with with Prince recently in the past twenty years, and certainly not a sports writer. I mean, you're this is this was big, and he goes, yeah. all right. <laughs> he, was like, well, he had no idea. I bet. <laughs> Well, he didn't know. I guess. I guess he just didn't know how significant it was, and or how eccentric Prince was yes. that it would be like such a preposterous thing to even consider that yeah. you're gonna like hey, flag him down in a hallway <laughs> and accost him and start ta- asking him what he thinks about the Timberwolves. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so he kind of strutted off, and he had his head up high, and he knew he once again he was he was Sid, and uh, and he had pulled off something that that no one else would even conceive of of, of trying to. Kevin, what was your uh, thank you for that? By the way, what was your uh, first year at the Star Tribune? Nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine, and then uh, Viking beat writer from for how long then? Next year, so it would have been about eight and a half years through the yeah. two thousand seven season. So my question for guys who came in from you came in from uh, the East Coast, and uh, yeah, my question always is, and you ended up being extremely patient with them, taking the bullets, sitting next to him at Viking <laughs> games, answering the four hundred and eleven questions <laughs> he'd have while you were trying to write, but. How? What was the period of adjustment and the, of marveling? You know, those of us who grew up in Minnesota were aware of them, but when you come in from the outside, what was? Uh, well, you, you must have said, "What is this?" Yeah, I think the period of adjustment was eight and a half years. <laughs> I don't think I ever did. Like, whenever I thought that I had it under control and that I could, you know, manage him as a colleague and as a, you know, really a superior, as he told one of the first things he ever told me is that he was effectively the sports editor of the paper, uh, even though I think he hadn't had that title for 20 or years yeah, or so. But, mid- but so every time I thought I had it under control, something different or something uh, uh, completely unexpected and, and for him unimpressed came up that made me readjust my thinking in terms of uh, of my comfort level with him. But I suppose that was probably the case with most people. I can really relate to that. Uh, <laughs> in, my, in my 12 years with him, you never 
just like Kevin just said, you thought you might have it figured out, <laughs> and then something would happen, and you were back to square one. It was just a weird guy to deal with that way. Uh, and he, when he started, you know, the first time you're in there and he starts screaming at the officials takes a little bit of an adjustment for a guy from, uh, you know, who had worked in Baltimore. You know? Yeah, there was there was definitely no equivalent um, in, in D.C. or Baltimore. They take their journalism very seriously there. And I, I had gotten some pretty good um, heads up on that one, I think, probably from you and certainly Jim Suhan and Kent Youngblood and some other people who had spent time around Sid to not uh, – to not quit the job uh, the first time Sid uh, tried to take out uh, Ed Hockley or, or whatever, <laughs> whoever the official offending official at the time would be. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, so I, I did have some advance warning on that one and, and general press box deportment. But there were plenty of other things that I never, never could have expected. And also the uh, idea that uh, you were a colleague. But that didn't mean you weren't a competitor. That takes a little oh, while to get used to. That too. one, I was surprised. I, I, that one, I think maybe Sue Ann had, had mentioned that, and I think he wrote about that today. Yeah. Um, but I didn't. I just didn't think it would manifest in the ways that it did. But he a hundred percent, you know, wanted the people. I mean, as the Vikings beat writer, like it's kind of my job to find out, you know, what the news was and report it. <laughs> and if you could get it first, that's even better. And so, and the Pioneer Press was very competitive at the time uh, with Sean Jensen and Bill Williamson and Don Banks, and like we were all scrapping to get it. And then you finally realize that one of the, there's some times when when someone doesn't call you back or like they tell you they don't know and they clearly do, and you're thinking what? And then it's in Sid's column, and then it, you know, it kind of it kind of uh, rings a bell. And so I, I guess in the end it was okay because our paper had it, but. Uh, you know, it was there's not something I don't think any beat writer probably around the country ever had to manage, which was competing with people at your own place to uh, to report the news on your beat. So, what's your psychoanalyst analysis of him? <laughs> what what drove him? What drove him as an outsider? You know, I I he he just seemed like there was only one thing he liked to do, you know, and that was to report sports be around sports um you know I, I didn't sense he had any hobbies i was shocked to see the other day but yesterday bud grant talking about taking him hunting or something like that you know yeah. I, I i my sense was that the only thing he liked to do was to to be mixed up in the um in the sports world to re, to have the news first to be a player in the sports world uh you know influencing decisions uh leaving legacies like stadiums and all that and and he was driven by that, I think, because he didn't know what else to do with himself. And it was kind of a poignant uh, quote from from uh, Chad, and, and I think it was in your news story today, Patrick, about uh, COVID didn't kill him, but but the environment around COVID certainly you know took the zest energy took the yeah. zest out of his life. Kevin, you said you think he didn't have any hobbies. I can attest to that. My wife and I, he called us one night, summer night, and said, "Let's go out to dinner." And he, at the time, he had a beautiful home on the river, on the Saint Croix. Yes, I was there once. Yeah, and we got there, and we couldn't find him. <laughs> we're yelling, "Sid, we're here! We're here! We're here!" It's gorgeous, eighty-five degrees, beautiful sun. He's got a deck yeah. that overlooked the river oh, and the whole God. deal. Great river. Finally, house. finally, uh, we hear him say, "Well, I'm in here. I'm in here." We go in. He's sitting in a dark room with the telephone next to him. He's uh, wearing a suit, 
And he, he was waiting for a call from Bobby Knight. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were going to say he was in that room that had like nine televisions and yeah. like the old way, like the way people yeah. used to mount oh, yeah. televisions on the wall. With yeah, like yeah he looked like John Chancellor in there, you know, looking yeah. at national news. He could watch any uh, all the games at once, and I'm sure he probably did. Oh, yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, well, Such, didn't you tell the story about another time you found him out on the deck and he pulled out a lounging chair or something? Somebody told me that yeah. story. He didn't. He had this big deck overlooking the St. Croix, and he didn't have anything to sit on, so he pulled think, out a I chair. I think on this occasion he, we pulled and, some chairs and out. And he, he had a suit and tie on, yeah. and he'd sit there, okay, they tell me to relax. I'm going to look at the river for eight minutes, and yeah. then I'm <laughs> done, damn yeah. Yeah. And I better see a goose or something else. I'm gone. Yeah. I was really great. Too that on that occasion his teeth didn't fly out when he was eating because that's happened before when we were dining. People were ducking. Look out! There he comes his teeth. Were you in on a life-saving moment at the interlocking? Me? No, Kevin. No, you weren't there for that dinner. Okay, there was. I think it was Selena Roberts, maybe, and Kurt Brown. They were eating at Interlocking, and Sid started choking on something, and they went over and gave him the Heimlich, and boom, and, and he 20, 10 him. seconds later, he was talking to, he back to where he was. You know? <laughs> Thanks, genius. <laughs> well, it's, it's much easier to, to choke on food when you talk throughout the meal. Yes, right. Right. Yeah. 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 Gavin, thank you, sir. Thanks for having me, guys. See you, Kevin. All right. uh, the All great right. Kevin Seifert, really. Uh, Seifert, he's, he's kind of stuck at ESPN with doing the Well, in fact, he filled in for the uh, the gentleman that passed away. He covered the Viking-Atlanta game okay, yesterday. Yeah, the, yeah, the Vaughn the, McClure. Yeah, the like Atlanta beat 48 guy. years old. He yeah. must have been a hell of a guy. I didn't know him. But How yeah. about those Vikes, huh? Oh, that was quite wow. a performance. Uh, first half, and then I just went out and raked the yard See and started the fire in the pit. See Kirk, you later. It's just too bad there couldn't have been 60,000 in there greeting Kirk when he left the field at halftime. Right. Wow. I'm just glad as a season ticket holder that I don't have to worry about the secondary market for uh-huh. tickets uh, the rest How of the year. How would Sid have handled that loss? He would have found a glimmer of hope somewhere. Well, I told you the greatest prank ever was Bobby Hagan's prank. Which one? Bobby Hagan was the Vikings, is the Vikings public relations director, has survived yep. impossible odds, right. several right. changes. Great I mean, guy. he's a survivor. Yep. And he genuinely loves it. Mm-hmm. He yeah. loves characters. You know, he's, he's a quiet guy. He yeah. doesn't give you any information. That's how he survives. He, you know. Keeps his mouth shut. Yes, he'll talk to you. He's friendly as hell, but he ain't going to tell you, watch out, they're going to cut this guy. And... He genuinely loves him, but uh, Bobby is. But now Sid breaks his hip mm-hmm. on Friday. He falls on the ice, and he he still goes to what he was supposed to go to, and then he he's going home and he can't walk. Ooh. So they then they get him and they found out he has a broken hip because he slipped on the ice. So they have surgery on Sunday. That same day, the on Saturday, the same basically life saving surgery. I remember it was a Saturday because it was the day of the Hubbard Christmas party. Yeah. And on yeah. Sunday, they play that their first year in the new dome. They play that stinkeroo against was it the Colts or the Ravens? Yes, I think it was the Colts. They, they get beat like thirty to nothing. The new dome. Yeah, they they get you know the Taj Mazzigi. Yeah. and uh, and they they get they just stink it out. And Hagen gets a signed football. You know, he's he's got a football that just got everybody's name on right. it, but he he basically puts the score and the date on this on it, and 
you know, <laughs> uh, thirty-four Colts, to six. I think thirty-four it was. <laughs> Vikings six. And it puts the date on it, you know, and right. then he goes and presents it to Sid on Tuesday. They wanted you to have the game ball, <laughs> and he goes in. Even he's laying there, and he's still trying to recover. And they got made him get up and walk that day, and it damn near killed him. And he's laying there, and he goes into this profane tirade. About, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that one. Tegan knew that long term he would be like the fact that he did that to him. He loved he loved to be needled if he was aware he was being needled. He just generally wasn't. Yeah. Such. So you're the columnist and you're the young columnist and had a great relationship for with him for eight years, seven years probably, right? Well things went I mean, south. He, yeah. He, but I'm trying to say is, you know, you were the anti-dome guy. Right. When did you know that, okay, all these threats that he's made through the years, mm-hmm. I mean, I've had them, everybody, you know, you know, you're, you know, when did you know his threats to get rid of you were serious? When uh, editors who had previously supported you, supported me, uh, began... You know, like Republicans running away from Trump right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, they no longer would uh, would entertain uh, mm-hmm. anything by me. And then mm-hmm. they began to criticize some of my columns. And I knew perfectly well that, that Sid was engineering this. Mm-hmm. There was just and no doubt in my mind. And this was 80? No, this is started 80? in about... Was well, so the dome already being built? Started about 82, 81 okay. or 82. So the dome was built and you were still making fun of it. And you dome. were against the dome, correct? Oh, mm-hmm. God, yes. Virulently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Virulently, <laughs> I proved to be right, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I didn't. I wasn't smart enough to save myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I just let it go, and it ultimately became uh, okay. You were you're we're taking your column away, mm-hmm. and uh, Sid uh, said, "I tried to tell you. Who tried to tell you?" I said, "You didn't try to tell me anything." <laughs> You were behind it. Yes, right. You don't. You didn't try to tell me anything, but you know I can't still help but have a soft spot for the guy. No, no, yeah, it worked right. out. My life yeah. worked out just fine. But as as off now, I'm certain if we go back in older times, there were guys he ran out. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think Jim Klobuchar left probably because he hated Sid. Mm-hmm. But uh, and he came to St. Paul, and then he came back as a conquering hero a year later to the Star as a columnist of it uh, well i didn't leave because i hated him because uh, no. i never hated him no i don't hate anybody i left because the editor called me in and said your column's done you can stay here cover high school swimming if you want <laughs> stuff like that <laughs> so, uh, and i said oh no that no was thanks. a, that no was thanks. a pretty direct no thanks. <laughs> we want to take a little short time out let's do that all right They didn't know he had a theme. Oh, he's always got a theme. He's a big Tennessee Vols Tennessee fan. Fans. Nice effort against Kentucky. God almighty. <laughs> is, that the, yeah. is that the worst Tennessee loss to Kentucky and not in basketball? <laughs> I would say ever. And the good news is we got Bama this week. So oh, we got good. right where we want them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you'll only give up 65. You might get 30, but you'll only give up 65. Uh, so uh, we want to say hello to Chip Scroggins here today. I, yeah. I didn't realize he called you Scroggins for 10 years. Yeah, it was it was probably even maybe longer than that. He called me Scroggins and on the air, and so he comes. We're in our old building, Pat, and he comes in one day. He's like, 
he's like, Scroggins, come here. And so he calls me in, and he's like, he's like, my son's been telling me I called you by the wrong name the whole time. <laughs> 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 I was like, it's all right, Sam, whatever you want to call me. And, uh, yeah, that's where the infamous, you know, after I set him straight, he said, oh, it's Scoggins, that's, that's fine. He's like, he told me I need to put an R in my name. So I, I said, he was kidding, but I can't be for sure. Sam, you never know. He probably did want me to put an R in Well, it, there so. was a basketball player in town in the Tw- Twin Cities who was really good named Steve Scroggins, so he must have gotten that in his mind. And uh, Yeah, it isn't as bad as Orville Burville, though. That was Orville his, Burville. Yeah, he was Daryl Bevel. He had Orville Burville? in print. Orville Burville. Was, well, that, was, that was the worst. He got, I don't know who Burville was, but he must have remembered Orville Freeman or something yeah. like that. It was it been governor forty years earlier or something. And we and in the press box, we never referred to Daryl Bevel as Daryl Bevel again. After that, he was always Orville Burville. <laughs> what a stupid play call by that Orville! Come on, Orville. Oh God! So I asked. Yeah, we had Seifert on. I asked him the same thing. When you come in from the outside and don't know what you're getting into, what's the period of adjustment to find? out that you're going to be sitting next to a guy screaming at the officials and uh, and asking you a hundred questions and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, Pat, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I came here in 2000, January. I didn't know Sid, never heard of him, to be honest with you. Um, I was a young guy, and they told me, you know, he's 80. We don't know how much long he's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> but he said, and, you know, you'll have to get to know him. And it took about a week. I mean, you go to one game with him, and you're like, Holy cow! This is the no cheering in the press box, and the <laughs> screaming at the officials, and just uh, you know, as people said, just the force of nature that he was. It, it doesn't take long before you, it, you know, you realize this guy is completely different than anything you've ever seen. Yeah, no cheering in the press box, but mfing the officials is allowed, oh, right? <laughs> well, I always say, and I, you know, I had the opportunity to be in at every other team. There's nothing like sit at a gopher football game in a close game i mean it is he agonizes with every play and it is loud you know he can't hear so uh he's screaming up there and if a you know if a kicker misses a kick he's you know swearing he he literally every play was just agonizing for sid for for football so i I still think you probably agree pat that was his one sport where his heart lied the most he loved the vikings because of bernsey and uh and bud but uh as far as all lifetime loyalty it's go for football and if you're a columnist that is critical of go for football sometimes i didn't know which team sid played for so it was. He, I can't tell you how many times he would scream at me for something I wrote about Gopher football. Um, he just did not like those guys being criticized, and so uh, it was. There are many a days I walked into the Tuesday press conference and had to deal with Sid yelling at me for something I wrote about <laughs> Gopher football. Well, think how prominent the Gopher football team was at the height oh, sure. of Sid's sure. youth, basically yeah. the 1950s. He started in '44, yeah. and he was in and in '46 after the war, mm-hmm. as he pointed out, people had some money, the economy was going, and we all wanted relaxation. We had just gone through the depression, followed by World War II. And everybody was in a happy mood, and the Gopher football was the big, uh, big, big attraction. Deal. Big yeah. deal. In 1949, Bud was on that team. That's way before my, not way before my time, but slightly before my time. Uh, they were going to go to the Rose Bowl, and uh, you know, I mean, that was 
gigantic beyond belief. Yep. Uh, so it's, that's yeah, what he grew it, up it, with. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a shame. You know, I know a lot of long-suffering Gopher fans are pining for the days they go back to the Rose Bowl. For Sid's sake, I wish they could have gone, and he would have mm-hmm. seen that one more time in his in his life to be able to experience uh, the Gophers going back to the Rose Bowl, knowing all the things that he lived through with that program. Yeah, it was. Uh, he, he worked hard. Well, you know, if all those if all those uh, no good uh, Minnesota <laughs> youth had come to the U instead of gone to lousy schools like Notre Dame, maybe they would have gone to the U. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Poor, you know, was uh, was Roy Tut uh, still? Roy Tut was still there at the Ventrodome, right up there, stuck up in that corner. Yeah. He was yeah. <laughs> Roy was the head of recreation at the University of Minnesota, mm-hmm. and he was also the referee observer, mm-hmm. just the observer, stuck in a corner at the Ventrodome up there, and. And I'd always go up at halftime and say, how many visits so far, Roy? Because <laughs> Santa go charging up there to scream at Roy Tuck like he had something to do with the call. You know? he, would, he would scream at him, but who got it? Probably no official got it more than Eddie Hightower, right? Oh, yeah, Eddie. Eddie. <laughs> That's my favorite said agitation ever was uh, Eddie's. I did a column on Eddie, and then a couple of years later, Sid isn't at the Gopher game, and we're standing down there in that hole. And sitting down there in that hole, and Sid wasn't there, and Eddie's standing above me on on the floor at Williams Arena, and we're getting ready for the. He's got the ball, and in, in a minute he's going to throw it up, and I scream my lungs out, and I said, Eddie, 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 because there's noise going on. He turns around and looks at me, and I said, Sid couldn't be here today. He wanted me to tell you you're a no good bleeping bleeper. <laughs> <laughs> and Eddie laughed his and laughed like hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he was crazy at Gopher basketball because he could be down there in that hole, and they'd be mm-hmm. they'd standing yeah. on the side of the court and timeouts, and he'd be screaming at him. He'd be screaming at him, man. He well, was, he'd get him, he would get into it the Timberwolves when he was right there too. I mean, if there's yeah, you know, Timberwolves, he was close enough to. I, I'm he never got teed up, right? I mean, I'm sure he's been threatened. Uh, I don't think he, he ever got teed up. No, I don't think he did. Well, was, uh, Scroggins, what would happen if you started yelling at the officials that way? What would happen to you? Uh, I think that would be my last column, probably, right? Right, <laughs> just ahead, yeah. Just go ahead and submit my resignation with it, yeah. Uh, huh. No, it was, you know, I, I think with those officials, they, they all came to expect it, right? The ones that did enough gopher games, they knew that they were going to hear Sid barking at them, and uh so it was just part of the deal. But, yeah, I mean, there were Sid rules, and then there was rules for everybody else, and uh, he had his own set, <laughs> yeah. that's but for sure. Yeah. Chip, you did have a chance to work on some stories with him, too, right, when you're trying to find out information once in a while? He yeah. Would, he, yeah. I mean, he would if, – if it was a story worth making big news, he would use his contacts to help people out, you know, yeah, to some degree. Yeah, early on when I was covering the Gophers, um, if there was some kind of, you know – not little things by injuries, but if there was something significant, he would definitely – you hated doing it, right? But you would say, Sid, can you make a call? Because mm-hmm. he just had so many contacts, and you knew he would be able to get through, whereas we couldn't. We couldn't just walk in an office. And it, as a – I can tell you, it drove me crazy sometimes because we wouldn't have access to these coaches. But he would just go walking in, you know, whenever he wanted. Every oh, day yeah. he would make the rounds. He would go walking in the – you know, and it's just if you tried that, you'd be escorted out of the building. Um, so stuff that we never could get. And you know what he was? 
He was human Twitter before Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Without right? a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you you know, you leaned on him to, you know, hey, can you have coach this or can you, you know, find out this? Um, and, he, you know, he, he would make the call. He'd always, you know, now he might want the scoop by himself. or he want, He'd always say, I want a byline. I want yeah, a byline. Oh, he always wanted that cool <laughs> byline, yeah. 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 But he, uh, you know, Rowe told me, John Rowe told me that the uh, first time he's in Ann Arbor uh, as the gopher beat writer, he says, come on, Sid's with him. He says, let's go talk to Bull. And they blew past four secretaries telling them to stop and just walked right into Bull's office, the orneriest <laughs> SOB in mm-hmm. college football, and Bull gets up, Sid, how you doing? <laughs> you know? Anybody else, they would have called 12 security guards and right. had you uh, climbing out. You know? Well, I remember when Nebraska was coming back into the conference, or coming into the conference, Pat, I, I did the— a story on the infamous loss to Nebraska, and I, yes. I got Tom Osborne on the phone and about that game, whatever the final score was, a million to nothing or whatever it was that day. And, 84-13, and baby. 84-13, and, and, and Tom Osborne said, and I still remember how bad Sid Hartman was. <laughs> so that's what, you know, I, I guess Sid must yeah. have ripped him for, for running up the score or something. I don't know, but Tom Osborne still remember that Sid was mad about that game. You know, the great thing about that game beyond 84-13 to 13 is we had the ball for 39 minutes. <laughs> That's wow. how that's how long it took on Nebraska Jeez. to score eighty four points. Wow. wow. <laughs> Twenty minutes. Kick their ass, time of possession, baby. That feat will never be duplicated. No. I can go on record and say that'll never happen no. again. All right. Hey, Chip, thanks for your time, sir. All right, guys. All right, good, good luck. Talk to you. Thanks. I'm so, having a sad thought. What? This what are is, we going to do for material? Yeah, right. yeah. What do you got? No. This is the end of... Uh, the newspapers were already dying. Mm-hmm. But this is it. This is, this, is, this is the end of the last guy who made newspapers important. Mm-hmm. And I today when I wrote the obit column, not the big long thing, I called and said, okay, I'm going to use... I'm not going to use newspaper paper reporter when I refer to him. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to use newspaper man mm-hmm. because that's the era that he's from. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, newspaper man. Papers and I were said, important. I said, I don't want anyone to think that this is a sexist, unintentionally right. sexist remark. Uh, because he, more than a reporter, he was a newspaper man. He could have worn the hat with the thing in the, the green dress. Yeah. I don't know if you and I will live long enough, but the next thing we'll see pass is the actual newspaper. Yeah, uh, we're hanging in there, but I don't know how long. Yeah. You know, who knows? Let's five years that. from now, what yeah. it's going to be like. I got. I'd like to sign off with my uh, one of my favorite moments mm-hmm. when your dear friend Harvey McKay. <laughs> He was in on that, by yeah, the way. Yeah, he said. helped get rid of you. Yeah. Uh, Muhammad Ali, he gave Muhammad Ali, Harvey, 50000 to show up for his book signing mm-hmm. at one of the books. I don't know which one. And just make it seem like it's random. Mm-hmm. Oh, Arm, wrestling, arm wrestling with the Sharks or whatever that, whichever mm-hmm. one it was, Harvey. But Harvey uh, gets Muhammad, and then that afternoon before the book signing, Harvey invites some of us to come up and meet him mm-hmm. and say hello to him and uh, i've told this story and hondo's up there yeah. and doing tricks and the muhammad's, muhammad's looking at him saying you're the devil mm-hmm. <laughs> you're the devil and he's got the parkinson's but he's not you know he's still pretty good mm-hmm. and as i've told the story harvey has him set up 
Sid Hartman's going to be here, and that's where he comes in and he says, Muhammad, uh, Sid Hartman here. And he gets that glare on his face, and he looks up at him, and he gets up out of the chair, and he makes a fist, and he said, Sid Hartman, Sid Hartman, I remember you. You're the guy that called me the N-word. <laughs> but he didn't say the N-word. And Sid's going, no, no, I never did. And he's got Sid like backing across the room. He apparently, this was a regular event yeah. occurrence with him. He would uh, That was one of his jokes when he met somebody new. But, God, I would I like to have a videotape of that one. Because oh, he Sid is backing up like... Uh, uh, you know, like Joe was when uh, like, the one that's name picked him up. Ken Ken Norton. Norton. Yeah. It looked like Michael Spinks running away from uh, Mike Dyson. Yeah. You know, <laughs> unbelievable. God, it was amazing. I found a clip of the Sid rules. Oh, oh really? Do you guys want to hear a yeah, minute or two sure. of it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Played the Green Bay Packers when we were assured that this team loved Jerry Burns and would put its heart and soul yes. onto the turf. And of the you. Mexico are Patrick James Royce. <laughs> I am. Nine, lobby for the return of any coach or athlete with a connection to Minnesota, no matter how vague. <laughs> Number 10, no quote is too bland, no item too meaningless. Well, we don't have the, we Number just 11, got the end of use the disconnected thoughts in convoluted sentences. Number 12, silence the critics, mock Sorry. the genius. <laughs> yes. Number 13, blame the fans. Number 14, <laughs> Throw down the gauntlet and number 15, and last but certainly not least, follow the law of diminishing gold. <laughs> yes. Mr. Donald Betzhold, Fridley, Minnesota, yeah, step we, forward for your sheepskin, please. <laughs> he gets two tickets to a North Star game. We, Tom we, Welty. All right. We don't have the first I'll eight, see if though. I can find We it. don't have the first eight. That is it. good. The law of diminishing goals yeah. is one of his. That should be way higher on yeah. the list because that was about number three. Right. You know, oh. if if they could win, if they could win this year, you know, we're going to the Rose Bowl, and uh, with a week going to the season, if we can win this one, we can go to the Independence Bowl. Right. You know? right. Matthew, it might be on that reel-to-reel tape uh, with my writing on it. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I think I remember doing that during uh, they, the special. I had them printed out some damn place. We, but we used know. to hand them out. Yeah. Yeah. I think I found it. I think I found it. Okay. All right. Let's All right. I've come up with what I consider to be the 15 basic three-star rules. These... Uh, we had to, I had to throw out the sports management course. We'll we'll just have to uh, have that covered under another rule. <laughs> Monday night prize distribution announced. Should I read the fifteen three star rules? Please. And we're going to announce the <laughs> prize so. distribution. These are not necessarily in order. We will uh, later put them in order of importance. Okay, this is it for Charles Holman out there who started all this. Not your Charlie Holman, the other Charlie Holman. <laughs> who said he wanted an update version of the rules. Here they are. Here they are. Number one, set up the loss. Yep. Number two, straddle well, the set fence. set up the loss includes ray of hope. Set up the loss, ray of hope. Yes, okay. <laughs> Let's start all over again. Yep. Number one, set up the loss, provide a ray of hope. 
Number two, straddle the fence. And the addendum to that is until you figure out which side's going to win. Right? <laughs> yes. Number three, blame the officials. Number four, revise history. <laughs> Number five, you are not part of the media. Number six, more tickets could have been sold than the capacity of the stadium. Yep. <laughs> Number seven, always side with the favorites, never with the underdogs. Number eight, supply the proper emotional state. In other words... If if a team does not seem despondent after a defeat and you feel they should be, you just say, you just they, say they were despondent. <laughs> Number nine, claim any Minnesotan, lobby for the return of any former twin, Viking, etc. Put <laughs> all those together. That. Number ten, no quote is too bland to be included, no fact too minute. <laughs> Number eleven, use disconnected thoughts and convoluted sentences. You combined a couple there. That's Number fine. 12, <laughs> silence the critics. Hmm? Number 13, blame the fans. <laughs> Number, in other words, not being loud enough, not being supportive enough, being too stupid. Uh, <laughs> mock the geniuses is kind of well, an And Betzold has explained the uh, entire genius yeah. theory in uh, his extraordinary extra class work. Mock the geniuses. Number 14, throw down the gauntlet. The most recent example I can think of is when Jack Morris was about to sign Absolutely. with Toronto and the gauntlet was tossed in front of Carl Polad mm -hmm. and uh, Andy McPhail and they uh, didn't... Uh they didn't accept. Usually, the gauntlet, though, is laid down when you know that it will result in you looking good when it's when it's picked up. And uh, number 15, <laughs> law of diminishing goals. A great example of this is the fact that this season started uh, with the brimming optimism that the Vikings would become the first team to play a Super Bowl in their home stadium. Mm -hmm. And now a successful season will be defeating the Packers to go 9-7. <laughs> <That's a, laughs> this is the law of diminishing goals. These are the 15 three-star rules uh, that we now have. There now are additional... Uh, uh, not quite as solid rules. There are certain things like the sports management course, but these are the rules that if you follow, you can uh, write your own SID count. And this, of course, will go into our official SID rule file, which is Donald R. Betzhold's big manila envelope here. And prize he distribution for the contestants. Yeah. We will not announce a winner today. Yeah, the competition was mentioned through the we years. Oh. Wow, what radio professionals you guys yeah. were. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Oh, hey, boy. yeah, it was, uh, it, you, I was trying to think now, just be, Kenny, yeah. you go back a long ways. How yeah, much, late, uh, late 80s. what percentage yeah. of our radio time <laughs> was spent <laughs> oh, on oh, uh, no. in the Monday night and Saturdays, especially Monday nights, Monday Night Sports Talk the was two hours, said. right? Yeah, it was two hours. You spent about 95 minutes working Sid over. Mm -hmm. Seriously. And you two were the most unprepared uh, hosts I've ever worked with. And it didn't matter because you had all the callers, then you had all the callers that had the secret number, yeah. and all you guys did was work on Sid. You just worked him over every it night. It was so fun, though. It was so mm -hmm. easy. I know. It right. was wonderful. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well... Uh, One of my favorites, uh, and Reavers is finding it right now, is is this. Oh, give me one second. Oh, okay, okay. This is one. This is one of those callers that uh, would have uh, would have had fun with uh, with Sid. Is this the go to? Let's take our break. And no, no. Start this man right now. <laughs> okay. 
Yes, this is sir. Flashback City for me. Here's <laughs> <laughs> Sports Hero. John Gooden. <laughs> John, your new head coach, the Gophers. I can't go out of it. I can't go out of it. First of all, you can down all this. Hello, mercy out of you, you guys. Keep, keep trying, Sid. A crying Sid is, the, is great. Try it again. I'll up right now. They call his 82-year-old mother. She tells me to go straight to heaven. How do you fight something like that? There's money. You just throwing money around. Try to fight that. I don't know. That's throwing around those plenary indulgences. It's pretty tough. <laughs> Where is this in your lowest moments in life, Sid? Right, it's right down there at the snake's belly. Yeah, I feel pretty low. I feel pretty low. Oh, I know. I, know. I called him up on a telephone. Uh, you know what he says to me? You know what he says? What? He says, it was good for me, Sid. Was it good for you? Check in with us one more time before you left. Well, you know, if I could become some sort of split personality, you know, being an imposter, I might be able to stick around. <laughs> That's true. You know, the thing I wanted to know, Lou, is you kept up that front right till the end. <laughs> you don't come from my school of hard knocks and not learn how to play your hand to the end, Suki. <laughs> yeah. Unless I never said I'd marry you. <laughs> Uh, should came we, close. Should we just run here and see if they want to tell it to Lou? If they don't, we'll put them on home. Well, uh, just before you take off, I'll have to uh, interject a few words. You Man, know, you guys so were good back then. Remember, Another remember guy, one time, Guy Greek calls, here's an A-Sports Hero God. <laughs> yeah. He had a whole God thing. Yeah, you had a couple of... Yeah, kind of falling out of favor in a lot of areas. So. A couple of rough decades in the 60s. decades in the 60s. Uh, Holt's leaving does bring up my favorite Chad story, oh, which is... How's he doing, by the way? I talked to him last night. He was was tough. He was having a hard time. Mm. Uh, But uh, I'm going to talk to him again tonight. But uh, Chad spends a year at the university, decides it's time to break away, and decides to go, as he called, to the Harvard of the West, Arizona State. (laughs) 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 And he goes to Arizona State, and he gets on the radio down there, and he does their games, and he's making his life. But Sid... Takes him to the airport in August, which is, you know, risking his life riding out there right. with Sid. More dangerous than the flight. <laughs> and uh, and Sid is, like, weeping at the gate because oh. you can still go to the gate. Because he's, he's never—they've never really, you know, been separated. And now he's going to go off. And this is 85, and he's going to go off and uh, go to Arizona State, and he won't see him again until Thanksgiving. And Sid's all upset. So now he comes back on Wednesday night of Thanksgiving. And Sid's waiting on the ga- at the gate, and Chad's getting ready for the big hug. How much I love to see yeah. you. And Sid looks like his mother died. You know, oh, Sid no. is sitting there at the gate, and his chin's down on his <laughs> chest, and he's like, you know, hi, Chad. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Chad says, Dad, what's wrong? And he says, 
Holtz is going to Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about taking your work home with you. Oh. And I got that from Chad. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's wor- wonderful. I worked with Chad for a year, and it, it, it really surprised me because Chad would call Sid, Sid. Yeah. Not once in the yeah. year that I worked with him did I hear him refer to Sid as dad. And he told stories about Sid the way every, <laughs> the rest of you guys did. It was so fun listening to the stories come right from Chad. Did you see a Doogie story? Uh, yes, th- th- this, that was a good one. It was yeah. uh, so he when he was working at the fan. This was a little bit after I was working at the fan. He and Justin Gard, who was Dan Barrero's producer, uh, wanted to go watch Notre Dame play USC. You know the big uh, where where USC scored the touchdown yeah. at the end of the game. Yeah. And so Doogie had I was asked, at that game by the way for the paper. So Doogie had asked uh, Sid if he had a connection to get tickets. Guess who left him two tickets? Pete Carroll. <laughs> really? <laughs> Left tickets for Toogie oh, oh, and yeah. Justin Gard. Well, I never used him except for, I want Chris and I were going to New York to oh, watch the right. Twins for that's four right. games. And I said, hey, can you get George to get a, get me some decent seats? Because the Yankees were packing them in. Little tiny Mike Blomberg was sitting in front of us. Wow. So we had We had his family, Bloomberg, excuse me. And then me, then us. We were behind them, and the price was right. <laughs> Did you get wow. the tickets for my kids at Yankee Stadium, or was yes. it Sid? Yeah, we went through Sid. Yeah, they had. They were sitting with Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, wow. At Yankee I, Stadium. Yeah. Wow. What the hell did I miss? What's going on? I missed out here. <laughs> Too late now, baby. Yeah, yeah. you're right. They're yeah. both dead. Yeah. George and him. Yeah. Oh, man, the sports show. I suppose I could tell stories about that for six weeks, too. It was unbelievable. <laughs> the, uh, huh? You know. Yeah. The, the, you, huh? The yeah. greatest ever. Stark. Hey, Maxie, I got to give a plug to Starkey. Starkey Harry, they're giving me this new thing that's great. <laughs> so he comes on. He says, Starkey Harry, those people are fantastic. They're the greatest. They're really helping me out. <laughs> And he finishes, and Maxie says something. He says, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Now, the guy who got in trouble at Starkey, the boss, who ended up feuding with Austin and ended up, I think he did some time, right? I mean, he got in trouble. But I was at a function that he was at with Sid shortly after that and said, Sid, you got to stop doing this. You're putting us out of business. (laughs) (laughs) Your plugs are putting us out of business. I got one Sid story. I didn't know the guy from Adam. Didn't know him, but just knew about him. I'm at the Dairy Queen on Snelling across from O'Gara's. Shocker. It's a food-related story. Food-related story. And I'm in line, and I see a big caddy just pulls right up. And front and center, right in front of the fire hydrant, oh, yeah. or whatever oh, it was. Yes. And it they just, put those there for six right. cars. Right. The reason it was, was open. in those little blue signs. <laughs> yes. yeah. The reason it was open was because there was a fire hydrant there. Yes. So he just he he just pulls up and and you know he's he's very flustered. And there was a little line there, and uh, I didn't even say hi to him, but I saw him in line. But I I bought him an ice cream cone, yeah. and, and when he got up to the window, he's like. Oh, you mean it's paid for? It's paid for? Who the hell paid for it? So I said, hey, it's Rookie. And he, then he said, hey, Rook. All right. And it was, that's my one sin story. All right. <laughs> Isn't that a great story? Well, let me well, tell one more. All right. Let me tell the mock story. All right. Mock is Sid's doing the pregame shows, right? Mm-hmm. 
uh, with the manager. Yeah. You know, the five minutes of, yeah. like, Fowler always told the story about he, he went to one with the Sam Melian dude, and they'd get in this little room and then scream at each other, well, who's in your lineup today? They'd be yelling. <laughs> and Manley'd say, oh, we're going to have this guy. You know, they were, like, yelling into these mics. But, you know, Sid would always want to get that show done as early as he, when they were on the road, as early as he could possibly get it. And I'm sitting in the dugout with Mock at 2.30 in the morning, uh, 2.30 in the afternoon, the game's not. And we're the only two guys there in the dugout, and there's some guys taking early BP. And the phone rings in the dugout mm-hmm. 35 times. Ooh. Goes silent. I don't say anything. One minute later, <laughs> rings 20 times. Mm-hmm. And I finally said, you know, like made my hands up like, uh, what? I, I think somebody wants to talk to you or something. He says, that's Sid. He said, how would you like to know when you wake up every morning in the summer, one thing you have to do that day <laughs> is talk to Sid Hartman. <laughs> I said, yes, but you have to do it eventually. You yeah. might as well get, get it out it of the way. He stop. says, no, I want to. I want to let him get a little more anxious. You know? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Roycey, the only time I had close interaction with him was in your basement when uh, you invited me and Yates and Doug Groh and Sid over uh, for a Tyson fight. Oh, really? And this was about two weeks after Doug Groh uh, Gro had written a scathing article about what an evil human being I was because I said something pretty vile on Barbara Was he Carlson's writing show. news side columns then or what? Uh, Must I think have been he was a, a columnist. He yeah, was a columnist. Wasn't writing sports anymore. And I had said something uh, very funny but extremely <laughs> really offensive. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, on I don't show. think we're bound by the FCC. Go ahead and say and, it uh, right now. We were sitting down there with uh, Yatesy and I and you um, with Doug Grow squirming and being very <laughs> uncomfortable. And Sid walks in. And you can hear the minute he walks in your house upstairs because it's just nonstop commotion and cluttering <laughs> and clanging. And he comes downstairs and immediately starts working everybody over in the room. Like, you're a jackass, you're a genius, you're in, you know, and he had his nicknames for everybody. But I got to say, it really, really re- uh, um, um, relieved the tension in the room. Because once Sid got there, it was all it was the Sid show. Right. And it was a lot of fun. Katie, my, Katie was talking about, my wife was talking about, well, like the first time she went to dinner with him. Uh, we went to dinner with him, and there were just the three of us. And he had no idea. He said she has no idea. He has no idea how to talk to women. You know, he doesn't yeah. know what to say. So every ten minutes, just to include her in the conversation, he'd say, "Why'd you marry a jerk like this?" And then he'd go back. You know, <laughs> that can talk that. That was all he ever did. That's, I can that's corroborate. That's the only thing he had. Yeah. I forgot my glasses one time at a Gopher football game, mm-hmm. Memorial Stadium. We still mm-hmm. had to climb straight sure, up. Right. Yeah. I call home. The CP grabs the infant mm-hmm. and my glasses. Talks her way past security. She could do that better than Sid. Mm-hmm. Climbs up to the press box. Mm-hmm. Summons me. Mm-hmm. Sid, for some reason, walked with me to the door saying, I got to see this or something. <laughs> she hands me the glasses and he says to her, Jesus, you had to be drunk when you married him. <laughs> His only, yeah. That was his only icebreaker with yeah. the wives was, yeah, how'd you marry that idiot? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we won't uh, 
We always say we won't see another one, but we won't see another we one. We will not see another the one. world. Not I'm not talking about. I know you're. I'm not talking about Minnesota. You're talking about the world. I'm not I'm talking about the universe. The world. I'm talking about the you're Venus. Not name Venus. We might have people on Venus. We don't Covered have any sports. like him. You know. Yeah, right, yeah. All right. That tape recorder and microphone better end up at the Pavic Museum. I agree, Kenny. I think. I well, we screwed up today, though. They put a the front page. They put the tape recorder on, but they didn't have the ancient one. They had the next. The uh, Version. Yeah, the one from the mid seventies. <laughs> oh yeah, that one. I mean, that was an instrument. If somebody was trying to mug you, you could have hit them with it. All right, I have a question for the two of you, Joe and Pat. Uh, you guys talk about the competition. You know, you both worked with him at certain times. In in retrospect, did he make you two better at your job? No, no, no. Really? No, <laughs> no. Reaver's no. going for that tender moment. Well, no, 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 no. I, I meant it. Well, he was in, being better. He was in charge of. Uh, when I got hired as a copy boy, which got me in the sports business, but yeah, but the reason I got into the sports business wasn't because of the work. It was because getting to drink at the court bar with all these characters <laughs> when I was seventeen or eighteen years old. I said, "These are the greatest guys that ever." This is what I want to do. Right? Okay. You know? well, all right. Roycey, did he have any involvement in you uh, jumping ship from St. Paul over to? Uh, no, he didn't. He did okay. not. But and uh, how did he feel about that? Uh, he he told me that he was the reason I came over, but I know better than that. <laughs> I know better than that. <laughs> you know, every Sid eulogy, this could have been, he should have left one about himself because every Sid eulogy turned into a tribute to Sid. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. basically it would be how much he's done for the guy that just died. Right. In this case, uh, you know, he was. You you won't I you'll see Bud and guys like that say he did a lot for me and he did I mean he was a he was a great promoter of local teams but I didn't I never saw that as the job but uh, anyway I didn't either so we didn't but, have that in common but uh, certainly as I said earlier today there were five days a year that I loved him and three hundred and fifty five days that I was kind of ambivalent. And five days a year that I said, "What in the hell is? How long are we going to put up with this?" You know, so. You but we're going to miss him for sure. There's yep. no doubt about it. Well, one of those days was when what was it? Was it an umpire that he? Uh, oh yeah, I called him some dirty names that day. Uh, the guy called uh, uh, called out. Was it Herbie? Who, who did he I call can't remember. out? I can't Somebody remember. Somebody slid in the second baseman, took him out illegally. Uh, ended the Twins game. They lost the game. And we're all waiting downstairs to go talk to the umpire because it decided a game. Right. And I think the Twins were pretty good then. I don't know. I can't remember. It was Jim Joyce, I think. But uh, Sid starts MFing him when he walks up. When he, you know. <laughs> yeah. Sid's After in, the only seconds. reason Sid's in the group is because everybody else went down there. And then, so now the guy won't talk to us, right? Because Sid is, right. won't, won't explain it because Sid's screwed up. Screaming right. obscenities at him, and I went nuts. <laughs> Every filthy name that Jim Joyce called Sid, I mean, that Sid called, Sid Jim, called Joyce. Jim Joyce, I quintupled it. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, You right. crazy old SOB bleeping, bleeping. Now we don't know anything. Would you have used the F word as a verb, adjective, and a noun? All of above. <laughs> <Yeah>. Article. <laughs> yes. Article, every, uh, every C word imaginable, <laughs> small or short. <laughs> I just went insane. Oh, oh I love that. Uh, and how did he take it? 
He says, well, I got a right to say what I want to. I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah was, uh, that was probably the maddest I ever was at him. That's yeah. for sure. That's for sure. Well, one God of, bless you, Sid. One of our all-timers is, though, Sid, and they, the Star Tribune's got the the big scoop on uh, they're going to, uh, on uh, which the Dutcher, the Dutcher scandal that's going to go on. Not the, not the, not the, uh, oh, not, the, not the alleged rape in Madison, but later the, they got this big story coming on. Uh, at the Gingle. No, no, that's Clem. Okay. This is uh, later. Oh, I remember this. This, yeah. is, this is earlier in Dutch's. I don't know what's going on, but I'm still in St. Paul and we finally browbeat after a game like on uh, Jimmy Williams to tell us what's going on. Mm -hmm. And Shooter says to me, Shooter and I, and, and, and he says, Jimmy said that was off the record. And I said, that's too good to be off the record. <laughs> I said, and we, we broke the shooter, always tells that story. But, uh, it, I mean, they had, the Star Tribune had like five pages and we right, had right. 25 inches, but we... The we, author John Sanford just texted, red meat, cigars, alcohol, how in the hell did the guy live to be 100? Well, he no, never, never smoked drank. a cigar in his life and he yeah. didn't drink much. No, and he uh, he would eat, uh, but he, he wasn't the, he was, uh, you know, he liked deli food. Yeah. He liked deli. Food. Lincoln Dell. Well, didn't you always say he had the good boiler? Oh, he had a good boiler. boiler. Yeah. Unbelievable yeah. boiler. If you can drink a whole bowl of uh, salad, oh, you got a hell well, of a boiler. But a big, he loved big Italian, oh, and yeah. he loved uh, spicy Italian. He was, when we did the radio show, I mean TV show, there was a little Italian place up the street, and every once in a while we'd go there. And uh, this is, you know, he's 80 now, probably 80s. And he'd always make, make sure you give me that spicy sausage. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you yeah. know most of the, yeah. he had the iron stomach. There's no doubt about it. And I told you, one of the last times, I, I went to the Crosstown Deli three years ago. Mm -hmm. And he was, this was after the broken hip. And uh, the ke Kevin in there, that was, that became Sid's Deli after the Lincoln Dell close. And, and Kevin says, Sid's back there. You should go back there and see him. So Sid's there with uh, Lacey, the, one of the gals, the blonde. And Sid's got... One of the a, gals who took care of him? Yeah. yeah. A, plate of, a, a plate of cabbage rolls in front of him, mm -hmm. which come two to an order, but one's already gone, I can see. And he's halfway through the second one. And later on, Kevin told me he always got an order and a half. But, you know, he never had a weight problem, but, no. he, but he loved it. But, but he looks up at me and says... I'm taking that one home. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if he thought I was going to ask him for it or what the hell. He says, "I'm taking that one home." You know, no hello, no. Well, he had the nerve center of a hummingbird. Oh God, he he just he couldn't have gained weight. He didn't have time. No, that's true. Yeah, yeah. and he certainly is an example that everyone who says type A's die young is because uh, oh. he was triple A. He was quadruple A. <laughs> yeah, he was, yeah. but. We're going to miss telling stories about him because after a while we'll just go on to other things, right? Yeah. Oh, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. I, I think you guys will always have a reason to tell Sid stories. You can stop sending me uh, emails of sympathy, though, folks. Okay. I mean, it's it's not a. I, uh, it wasn't your I, I'm going to miss him, but uh, I'm going to miss my brother. 
Dr. John Nigerian, uh Bob Gibson. I'm going to miss guys like that probably. Uh, just as much. Just as much. Yeah. Just yeah. as much. I don't want to say more so, yeah. but just as much. Right. I feel sorry for his... Uh, his uh, his son and his daughter and then the whole crew and uh, but a hundred what the hell that's enough let's go your your tweet was perfect though the fact that you said Sid died today at a hundred the fact that we're shocked tells you yeah yeah really never thought the the reality that it would happen never occurred to me I liked your obit comment. Uh, 12 years ago. I got to go see what I wrote. I wrote this open 12 years ago. I can't wait to go see what I wrote. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes. The advance. All right, Suchi boy. All right, Patrick. All right. All right, Rob. Bye. All right, Bros. So you think uh, Sid ever went to Fratelloni's, Joe? Uh, no. <laughs> if he did, it was by accident. He had, he had people. Uh, but if you want to go to Fratelloni's uh, for your shovel, for your sand, for your ice melt, they got a full. I was just in there the other day. Nice. They're ready for winter. They're ready. And if you want to check out other podcasts or tell somebody about this podcast, it can be found at PodMN on your smartphone or PodMN.com on your computer. PodMN and PodMN.com. Bra. R.I.P. Sid.